Yeah, like you might think it's a good idea, but the market's going to tell you whether it's a good idea. And so, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, don't talk to friends and family, talk to talk to people you don't know. Hey everybody, this is Devin Miller here at uh, The Inventive Journey. Uh, welcome back to another great episode. Um, for those who are new to the podcast, I'm a patent and trademark attorney here at Miller IP Law, founded my own law firm as well as the uh, perpetual uh, serial entrepreneur. Um, here to help the uh, startups and small businesses with their inventive journey. And so today on the, on the episode, we have um, Bill on here. Bill will introduce himself a bit more. He's a, uh, a physician that also came up with a great new way to, uh, to do uh, sutures. And so um, an, an interesting conversation and looking forward to it. So welcome, Bill. Yeah, thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me. So yeah, my was, Bill, before we jump in, is, it, yeah. is there a difference between physician and doctor? Because I said physician and I thought, well, maybe he's a doctor and I don't know if there's a difference. So, Well, you know, I, I mean, a doctor, I guess, like you could have a doctor of medicine or a doctor of philosophy, but you know, that's the same question I have for you. Is there a difference in a lawyer and an attorney? <laughs> there's absolutely zero difference between a lawyer. You can say a lawyer, attorney. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are other words that are less, are less flattering to people, but no, they're <laughs> the exact same. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so ha- I'm happy to be on Devin. Thanks for, for having me on. Um, so yeah, Didn't need to throw you off there. Just popped in yeah, my head no. that that was a question. Yeah. I had. So go ahead with the introduction. So I'm a, I'm a dermatologist. Um, I've been in private practice now for about 12 years. And, um, but I also do something called Mohs surgery, which is skin cancer surgery. So if you had a skin cancer on your face, we would remove it. And um, within 20 to 30 minutes, we would take that piece, we'd process it in the lab to make sure it's clear of cancer. But after that process is done, you've got a hole in your leg or your arm or wherever that cancer happens to be. And so I do a lot of um, reconstruction work as well, um, mm. closed wounds. Um, and so the, the products, you know, that, that we came up with, that I came up with, the, the Suture Guard products, um, they're, they're all born out of problems that I had as a surgeon um, closing my own wounds. Okay. And, and, you, and for those that may not know as well what a dermatologist is, because there's a whole bunch of ologists out there right. that uh, I always get confused, whether it's uh, the people that work on feet or the people that work on skin or the people that work on things that I don't even know. So what's a dermatologist or, or, so yeah, or give a, that a quick explanation? A dermatologist is an expert in the hair, the skin, and the nails. Okay. And so if you have a problem with your hair, your skin, or your nails, um, a dermatologist is, is who you would see. Um, and so for me, I've, I've subspecialized in, in skin cancer. And so most skin cancer is dealt with in America by, by most surgeons, M-O-H-S. It's named after a guy. It's not an acronym. His name is Frederick Mose. Um, and there's, there's also the Mose hardness scale in, in geology, but that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> and so it's a guy's name, Frederick Mose, M-O-H-S. Um, okay. And so in, in jumping to the, the, the quick rabbit hole, so you are, along with a lot of people, I guess skin cancer or uh, skin cancer surgery is, a not, is an elective surgery or a non-essential surgery. Is that right? Right. And so, yeah, in most states, it would be considered non-urgent. And so there's, there's, um, there's large organizations, expert organizations that 
um, look at cancer. And the big one is the NCCN. And so mm. the NCCN came out with COVID recommendations for many cancers. And for skin cancer, for most skin cancers, including most melanomas, um, you can delay treatment by up to three months. So I haven't been doing any skin cancer surgery for the past six, six weeks. The, the plan is that we would like to have some testing so that we test people point of care before we do their surgery. Um, but, you know, it's, it's difficult to buy toilet paper, let alone COVID testing equipment right now. Um, but anyway, that's, that's our plan forward. The plan forward is that we, we want to get back to doing skin cancer surgery, but we want to do it in a way that's safe for the patient and also for, for our staff. Okay. No, that's, that's just an interesting point. Everybody's having to deal a bit with different issues with COVID. So just one that I'm like, oh, see, always see, you always hear the word cancer and you're like, well, that seems like it's kind of a do or die or more critical thing. So this is one that was interesting that that kind of gets in the, the state, a lot of the, the other categories of ones that holding off for now until they can figure out how to, to adequately uh, deal with that and make sure it's safe. So, and a lot of our patients are in the risk are in the risk category. A lot of our patients are, are elderly and have comorbidities. Mm. And so we really need to be mindful. And a lot of skin cancer is not acutely lethal. It's not like you're gonna get a, a basal cell cancer and die of it in a month's time. A lot of these things um, are more, it's not that you don't wanna deal with it, but you've got weeks to months to deal with it. Okay. I was I always just hear the word cancer, and if the doctor ever told me I had cancer, I'd, no matter what the cancer is, I'm sure I'd be freaking out a little bit. Right? Yeah, there is that. There is that. <laughs> so, yeah. all of that is the, a rabbit hole, which is fun to go down. But we'll get to the, the a bit more of your journey as far as so you uh, obviously are continuing to be a practicing surgeon and and be a dermatologist, and uh, but you also uh, got going on a, a startup that's more on the medical device side. So maybe tell a little bit about that, how you got into it, how you kind of this is what made you to jump from just being a surgeon to also wanting to uh, be part of a startup or a business. Yeah, you know, I've always been kind of like a tinkerer at heart. And um, like, even when I was in high school, I got into, I got myself into the Ottawa Heart Institute doing molecular biology. And I continued that all the way through medical school. And, and I really enjoyed tinkering with that. And, and even though I'm not an academic um, dermatologist, I still enjoyed publishing and, um, and writing book chapters. And um, so I've always kind of had a, a tinkerer mind. And then when I was a fellow in Mohs surgery at University of Washington, I worked, with, um, I worked with somebody who had come up with a medical device. And I thought, boy, you know, it's really cool to, to publish things in, in journal articles and in textbooks. But I thought, wow, like to come up with something in my mind and have it a tangible product that people are buying and it's helping people. I thought that would be a real kind of like cool legacy almost, if, if that's the right word. And, sure. um, and so that was kind of always a fascination for me, if you will. And so I had just written a book chapter in which I had learned a lot and learned a lot about things we know about wound closure and don't, and things that we think we know about wound closure but don't really know about wound closure. Um, and kind of like unveiled some of the dogma that I no longer necessarily believed in. And um, after writing this chapter, I was holding my three month old daughter. I have two daughters. And um, so she was three months at the time. And all this was like percolating in my mind, like 
some of the things that I thought I knew about wound closure and some of the problems I have and kind of this fascination I had had from this mentor. And I was sketching a night table at the time. And I start instead sketching out some designs that would help me solve some of the problems I had in closing wounds that I put on people every day. And so this was in the middle of the day. So I go down and tell my wife, like, oh, you know, I think I have some ideas. And that's how, and that was 2015. That was May of 2015. So pretty much um, five years ago. Um, um, and so that's how my inventive journey started. So another aside, so what happened to the nightstand? Did you ever do anything with it? The, the sketch is still not completed. <laughs> right, I so- have the sketchbook that I was sketching that in and it kind of trailed off and I instead have all these diagrams. So in lieu of a nightstand, you said, hey, I could do a nightstand or I could do a suture. I'll right. go with the Now suture. I have this instead, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll probably enjoy that. Your kids maybe not quite so much, but right. cool. Yeah. So you came up with the idea to do it or, you know, kind of started to sketch or said, hey, maybe a suture. I think that maybe I'm on to something, could do this a little bit better or different than what others are out there. So then what was the next step? So you kind of have what is a rough sketch or an idea, and then where did you take yeah. it? Well, you know, I had watched enough Shark Tank to know, like, <laughs> patents are a thing, and that's about all I really knew at the time. But uh, so I acquainted myself with a local patent firm, and, you know, we started with a patent, with a prior art search. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do any customer discovery. I kind of thought, well, I'm a customer. So I started with a patent prior art search which which looked pretty clean and I submitted a provisional patent and the next thing I did in order to kind of de-risk the idea is I found a physician pitch competition in um, it was in Arizona and it was a couple of really great guys um, that um, that had a company called Synapse at the time and so they would work with physician inventors um, and they ran this like weekend course, if you will, like a boot camp almost in, in IP and manufacturing and fundraising and regulatory and everything, kind of like everything you need um, in med tech, albeit not at a deep level, but you know, to kind of get the landscape. And so I went to this and at the end of this thing was a pitch competition and there were eight teams that were presenting and I was my team. And um, a team and, of one. Right, and I and I and I and I won, and and uh, and that was kind of a little bit of a of a validation for me. So I won five thousand dollars, but more importantly, I won the validation that you know I pitched to like I don't know maybe eighty or a hundred people, and they thought yeah, there's maybe something to this. So so that was kind of uh, that was an that was kind of a reassurance, if you will, and then from there I I decided to go deeper. (laughs) Um, And so we did a, the next, the next step I did is I thought, you know, so my, my device is a class one device. So the FDA has three classes. Class Mm -hmm. one is a band-aid, something that's low risk to the patient. Class two would be something like a traditional surgical suture, which goes into the patient because mine is not a suture. So it's a class, it's class one. Class three would be a pacemaker something that's life sustaining. And if it fails, or has any problems, the patient would be at great risk. So class one devices are low barrier to entry. And also mine doesn't need what's called a 510K, it's 510K exempt. And so basically a class one 510K exempt medical device is 
the way you want to start in many ways um, because the average cost to market of a class two device is about 20 to 30 million dollars of a class three device is about a hundred million dollars the average cost to market for a class one device is about a million dollars and so which is still a chunk of change but uh, but uh, you know it, for for a solo physician it's a nice way to start is if you can think of a class one device I didn't necessarily start out thinking of a class one device but it just was lucky for me that what I had thought of was a class one device. And so early on, I kind of, at the, after this competition, I connected with the, a regulatory person who's still my regulatory person. I connected with a, a designer, an engineer who still does all my CAD work um, and design work. Um, I connected with um, an IP law firm, which is no longer my IP law firm, but uh, but I, I, I can't. Someday you'll come over, people. you'll see the bright side and you'll come over to Miller IP. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. for another day. Um, and so, you know, the, it, it helped me network, and the network is, uh, the network is, is important, really mm -hmm. important um, in, in this. Um, so after I had set up a network and realized, yeah, I'm class one and I've got some IP going, then I had to set up some manufacturing because I wanted to do an animal study, because even though this is a class one device, I wanted to make sure that it, it did something and that it was safe. I don't need animal studies. It's just, I kind of guess, um, I have a high ethical bar mm. and I wanted to know that what I was, I, I wanted to put it on an animal before I put it on. Sure. And, no, so, makes sense. Um, and by the way, everything I'm describing is bootstrapped right now. So this was me and my wife writing checks. And so, um, so we did an animal study at Oregon State, and we were really um, happy with that. And then after the animal study, that would have um, that would have finished in kind of like early 2016. Mm. Um, my my wife Jen, she got involved in an accelerator, and mm. an accelerator incubator kind of thing, and for. For listeners who don't know what that is, that's basically like um, you'll have mentors who um, work with you in your business, and regardless of what business you're in, there's certain good practices that that you should take on. And what we really learned in the accelerator program is is lean methodology. So lean methodology is something that was developed by Steve Blank down in um, in Stanford, and it's a really um, great method to quickly figure out if your idea has merit um, before burning a whole ton of cash on it. Um, and the gist of it is that you get out of the building. The number one phrase that Steve Blank would be, use would be get out of the building. You get out of the building and you start talking to people about your idea. And so for us, that's getting out of the building, getting out of our own head and saying, this is what I think is important, A, B, and C, and going out and and actually not even pitching your product, just going out and saying, hey, you know, tell me about wound closure. Tell me about problems that you have with wound closure. And then only at the end of the process, maybe not even necessarily saying, well, hey, I've got this. What do you kind of think of that? And so Jen did an incredibly useful thing um, that I would have actually done sooner if I had known more about it. Um, where she went out and interviewed about 50 or 100 surgeons. And in the process of doing that, um, we did what you might call a, our first pivot, 
Um, mm. Pivoting is a good thing. You know, pivoting is you're going in one direction and then you pivot and go in another direction. And um, we did a bit of a pivot on the product. We third, we, without getting too much in the weeds, we thought the product would be useful for, um, for one application. The initial iteration of the Suture Guard device, which is, which is this device, had a locking mechanism. So it locked the suture so you didn't even need to tie a knot. Mm. The problem of doing that is it made manufacturing very difficult and having a secure knot was difficult. And as we talked to surgeons, most surgeons said, well, we don't care that it ties the knot. We can tie the knot, but we want it to be softer. And so that- so Diving in, because that's always an interesting, because a lot of times you get through a pivot, but you always have the problem of sometimes you get so invested in the idea, you've been so far along, you're, hey, I don't want to switch gears. I, I, I think this is a great, and you almost kind of, you know, talk yourself into it, even though pivot may be a good idea. So. Was it easy to pivot or did it take you a little while to kind of come to an acceptance that that's what you should do or how, you know, what was that idea or process of, Hey, we need to adjust things. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'm like, I'm a little bit lucky cause I was never married to the, I, I was never married to my original ideas. And I thought, you know, I, I, I always had the vision that I want a success. I want a successful product. I don't want my product to be successful. And I mm. think there's a difference there. And so yeah. I was very open and I wanted, I wanted harsh critical feedback early and often. And I, and that's why I wish I had discovered lean methods sooner because that's what you get is, you know, when you're going at, especially to doctors and to the surgeons, they're going to give you harsh critical feedback. And that's what you want. You want the harsh critical feedback early, you know, rather than later, like, you know, you want it to be ready, aim, fire, not fire, aim, 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 aim at potential markets, you know? <laughs> sure. And um, um, so, yeah, when surgeons said, Hey, we don't like this original design. We want it to be softer. Da, da, da. Immediately, I thought, well, okay, I'm getting great feedback here. They're not saying they don't like the idea. They're just saying, like, they're saying they're validating the problem, which is great. Yeah. It's just that they're questioning the solution. So that was fantastic. They're validating the problem. I just need to come up with a solution that meets their needs. And so I did. I worked um, with our design with the designer and. I would come up with ideas and basically it was, it was advantageous in many ways because the, the prior art didn't really have the solution that people wanted and the solution basically without getting too much of the weeds on here, what people wanted was they wanted a suture bridge and this is what, and there was, there were suture bridges in the past, but they were very rigid. What we did is we took it and made it very flexible. So it's much softer on the skin. But if Jen had never done the customer discovery, we would have never gotten to a better suture bridge. Hmm. I know that's very interesting. Yeah. The, so almost kind of a couple points in there is one is to get out and to, and it's usually better when you do, and, and I'm sure you already know that you do the customer discovery to not go to all of your friends and family and say, what do you think? Cause right. they're all going to be too nice. They're going to tell you that's a great idea. Even if they would never buy it, even if it's a horrible idea or a great idea. They'll never tell you that. And so it's, you never get that good feedback, but just uh, go ahead, hit the streets or hit people that are indifferent or impartial that'll tell you, hey, yeah, I, I would buy that or no, I would never buy that. But at least you get that feedback. So that's interesting. So then jumping uh, just a little bit ahead and kind of based on what we talked. So 
made the first pivot, which was to go over to more of the, the flexible suture um, and, and do the bridge that, that address that need. And then you got to a point, you know, you've been, as you already mentioned, been self-funding for a bit or for the whole process up until that point, and then decided you maybe needed to do a, a bit of a raise and maybe needed to restructure uh, uh, things a little bit, bring on maybe a CEO, move to CTO, all of that. So how did that kind of go or what, what brought about that and how did you make that transition? Yeah, so we did a lot of, um, we did a lot of customer discovery mm. um, and then after the customer discovery, there was getting the product to the point where we felt that it was ready for human use. So, so we, um, in the summer of 2017, we're now in 2017, <laughs> we, had, we had prototypes where we felt we wanted to do some biomechanical testing. And so we were still self-funding everything. But what we, because we had worked with Oregon State, our animal study and also for the accelerator we were able Jen was able to get some grant money to get a couple of engineering summer students and so we took the prototypes and we did some biomechanical testing with the prototypes because we really wanted to de-risk everything before we put it in a human and so that summer we worked with them and so we got a little grant money from them mm-hmm. and then Jen um, and I reached out to OSU for a small amount of seed money just to say, hey, let's not keep burning all of our own money on this. Let's get other people involved. And not only because we want to not use our own money, but because those people have a network. And so there's, you know, there's concept of like smart money. Um, Mm -hmm. So bringing on money from OSU does a number of things. Number one, it, it cuts my own personal burn rate that we have to put into the company. But number two, um, it makes them invested in it. And number three, they're an investor in the company. That has a benefit. You know, you can put that on your website and say, you know, OSU is now investing in us. And that, that's, a, that's a, a mark of something that we thought was valuable. So we, had, we reached out to OSU. They gave us a small amount of money, but enough that we could do our first manufacturing run in biocompatible materials that we could make a bridge for human use. And so the first... The first human use was in 2017 in December and it was under investigational use only and it went well, but again, we had to pivot because initially we hoped that we could retain the bridge for up to a couple of weeks, but it quickly became apparent that there was fluid that would happen under the bridge. So we pivoted then to say, hey, this is not a device that lets you close wounds and leave the device in. Rather, you stretch the wound. And so skin has an amazing ability to stretch in a rapid period of time. So this bridge lets you take a suture, put it under very large amounts of strain or or stress, I should say, and stretch the wound closed. And so that helps you avoid flaps and grafts. But again, it was a pivot. We didn't pivot in the actual product. We pivoted in how it worked. So by now, we're into 2018. And we've been, Jen and I, basically the two of us, not basically the two of us, um, had been churning on this for a long time. Um, and we still didn't have any patents. We had some publications. We knew it worked. We knew there was a market. Um, but um, we, needed, we needed some help. So we had an advisor, Dan Ladizinski, who's a plastic surgeon. And he was retiring from plastic surgery. He's relatively young, but he's, he's retiring still. And um, so we said to him, you know, we're getting real tired here, you know, um, 
I'm now a full-time surgeon, Jen's a full-time mom. Um, you know, we need some help. And so he said, well, you know, I've always wanted to be the CEO of a company and he really believed in it. So we said, okay, you're CEO. So we gave him a chunk of equity and, um, which was the best thing we ever did really. Um, and, um, so he came on, he was very good with the patents. He helped, he worked with the patent attorneys and was really good in helping us get our first patent. We now have five patents, um, one of them back there, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the plaques that they sell you after you get, <laughs> and so, That's um, and so, uh, so he was very instrumental in that. And then we realized too, like, you know, we don't want to keep churning our own money into this. And so Jen managed to get us like another hundred K of non-dilutive money, but we knew we needed more money than that, um, for regulatory and manufacturing and IP and everything else. Um, so, so, um, so anyway, Dan came on and then he did a raise, um, and uh, yeah, and so that was in 2018. And we did a soft sale, like we did a soft sales launch in, um, in gosh, when was that? November, when did we do our soft sales launch? November 2018. Okay. So one, or one more question to, to draw or to dive into that just a bit deeper. So you bring the CEO on, did you vet him? Did you know him before? Did you just... He a bit been, of a roll of the yeah. dice. How did you, you know, how did you make the decision? Hey, this is a guy that one, we want to give more control over to and give equity to. And we think this is the person that would make a, a good, you know, a good team member. He had been an advisor with us for a few months. We didn't know him deeply. Um, it was basically a leap of faith. Hmm. You know, like he, again, he had been an advisor with us for maybe six to nine months. And he was, I guess the thing is, is he was passionate about the idea you know, number one is I want people who are into it. Um, and he has a lot of credibility. And uh, we just had a feeling that we could work well with him. And, and we have. Cool. Well, we're reaching up kind of towards the end of the, the time of the podcast. Um, always, always feel like whenever I get to the end of these, there's about 20 more things that I'd love to talk about and never have all the time to talk about it. So it's always a good sign that it's a fun conversation. Um, but so I always end the podcast with a couple, a uh, couple questions. And so I'll, I'll throw them at you. Um, first question is always, so if you to, what do you think is the biggest business mistake that you made? You know, this is kind of with the idea that, you know, really you're, you're looking at it as you always get to hear the highlight reels, right? So you get to hear how everybody, they worked really hard. They stayed up nice and weekends and it was an overnight success type of a thing, but that's right. you know, very, very rarely the case. And there's always things that you wish you could go back and change or mistakes that you made. So what would you be your biggest business mistake? Um, it would have been nice to start lean methods earlier, I think. Um, and, you know, pivoting, pivoting sooner. Like, I mean, this, this bridge, while it's still, you know, a good product for us, mm. the, the newer product that we have, which is the HemiGuard, which is an adhesive kind mm. of version you know, it has a lot broader applicability. And I think if at an early stage we had started with um, customer discovery, um, because we didn't launch the HemiGuard until um, January of this year. And I think if we had started more aggressively doing customer discovery and really listening even more to customers, we would have come, because I had this idea years ago, we would have come to this idea earlier 
Um, um, so again, customer discovery lead methods is where it's at. All right. So iterate quickly, pivot when you need to, and discover or talk with the customers earlier. Got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Second question that I always throw out is, so let's say you had somebody that wanted to get into maybe the, that was maybe a doctor or wanted to get into the medical device type realm, had maybe an idea they'd sketched as they were sketching a nightstand or whatever they were sketching on, but they wanted to get into that kind of realm and that industry. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, do lean methods. Yeah, like you might think it's a good idea, but the market's going to tell you whether it's a good idea. And so, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, don't talk to friends and family, talk to, talk to people you don't know, talk to harsh critics. Um, yeah, like you might think it's a good know, idea. One of the best the market's going to tell you was we applied for SBIR. And um, so, you know, and like you um, had mentioned earlier, in the SBIR, family, talk we to, got some pretty talk to people you don't harsh, know, talk to harsh feedback from the NIH, um, people who reviewed the application. And we didn't choose to go and apply for an SBIR again. But actually, some of the feedback we got in that SBIR was really helpful. You know, they told us to do an, a finite element analysis, and finite element analysis is now one of our key um, pictures that we have on our website for the HemiGuard because we started doing finite element analysis. We started doing more biomechanics, and hmm. they were the ones that told us to do that. So, you know, I almost feel like writing a thank you letter to the NIH for <laughs> our SBIR. It was the best customer discovery we could have. And so that kind of harsh early criticism is what helps lead to, you know, what will be, you know, kind of the, the success um, and getting to that as soon as you can, we'll, you'll burn less money getting there. All right. So lean methods, uh, make sure to be, you're, you're uh, an evangelist of that and uh, yeah. a ready or promoter of that. So that's cool. Well, those are, are yeah. like I said, both, I think, great things both to learn with as far as uh, mistakes made as well as advice given. So, well, thank you for coming on. It's been a, a fun time, and I always uh, enjoy hearing everybody's inventive journey. Um, before we are kind of wrap things up, um, what is a way that if people are interested, whether they're a doctor and want to use your product or they want to get involved or they're looking for someone to give them feedback on their idea, what's a way to, to get, or get in touch with you? Well, yeah, sutureguard.com, S-U-T-U-R-E, and then G-A-R-D.com. Um, and then I'm Bill at sutureguard.com. Perfect. Well, we will uh, also put those in the show notes, so anybody Perfect. that's interested or wants to reach out to you can do that as well. Well, thanks again for coming on, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, for those that are the listening audience, if you're uh, have an inventive journey that you want to share, you can always go to the inventive journey uh, or just inventive journey and apply to be a guest. And if you if you're in need of any help uh, along your journey with patents and trademarks, certainly feel free to reach out, and we're uh, happy to help to, with any patents or trademark needs. And otherwise, good luck with your journey, and uh, may your journey be smooth. So. Thanks again for coming on and uh, hope to hear from you and your, about your journey again in the future. Thanks, Devin. Thanks.